Good morning and welcome to Wednesday morning, April the 12th in 2023 on When I Rise. Today we continue year A in the second Sunday of Easter. And on the Wednesday of the week, we usually like to take one of the extra passages, which comes to us from the this week from the Revised Common Lectionary and this week of the church's calendar year. But in the season of Easter, there's only four. And so since we have a five morning podcast. I have to sometimes pick up an extra one from some study on my own. And so uh, yesterday in my uh, morning prayer, the Book of Common Prayer that I use, 1 John chapter 5 was part of the schedule. And so let me read 1 John chapter 5 verses 13 through 21. I'll read that passage, provide a couple points for reflection, and then we'll spend our time praying along the theme that we find there. Thanks for making us part of your morning on When I Rise. Let's allow our souls to rise and meet God together in a time of prayer. 1 John chapter 5, verses 13 through 21. I write these things to you who believe in the name of God's Son, so that you can know that you have eternal life. This is the confidence that we have in our relationship with God. If we ask for anything in agreement with His will, He listens to us. If we know that He listens to us, to whatever we ask, we know that we have received what we've asked from Him. If anyone sees a brother or sister committing a sin that does not result in death, they should pray, and God will give life to them. That is, to those who commit sins that do not result in death. There is a sin that results in death. I'm not saying that you should pray about that. Every unrighteous action is sin, but there is a sin that does not result in death. We know that everyone born from God does not sin. But the ones born from God guard themselves, and the evil one cannot touch them. We know we are from God, and the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. We know that God's Son has come and has given us understanding to know the one who is true. We are in the one who is true by being in his Son, Jesus Christ. This is the true God in eternal life. Little children, guard yourselves from idols. This is the Word of God for us. All right, this is one of those passages that uh, come up from time to time, particularly from that bright spot in the youth group who wants to stir the waters and make it all muddy and cause people to get into a little bit of an argument with one another because it's vague. I mean, uh, you know, John says that there are sins that lead to death and there are sins that don't lead to death and so the, the honest question and response is well what is that list and how can we know and there's a good chance that if we had about five or six different commentaries over this passage side by side you know stacked on top of one another here on the desk that there might be you know three or four different lists uh, we do know that the catholic church has like mortal sins and so there has been some chatter about these things perhaps this is what John had in mind. But I think it's worth taking a step back and, and looking at this greater context because this is wrapped in prayer. I mean, did you notice that when we read it this morning? That there's this confidence of praying and knowing that God hears our prayers if we pray according to his will, right? Uh, we know that we'll have from him what we've asked because it's according to his will. And then it goes right into verse 16. If anyone sees a brother or sister committing a sin, that does not lead to death. So there's a sense where like this is obviously like an editorial decision 
that uh, English Bible translators need to make. Um, is this all one paragraph? That's how the CEB ended up taking it um, in the study Bible that I have. Maybe yours does not. I mean, there's probably justification to keep it together and there's probably justification to separate them. But imagine this, like I think these two things uh, certainly loom large in the average Christian's experience. Um, when I struggle in prayer with God, um, how do I know that it's going anywhere? How do I know that it's useful for anything, right? Like that's a common pastoral question that I get. And a second pastoral question I get is, I'm worried about this friend of mine, or there's this son or daughter that I have, or my parents are, you know, this is going on in their life. And I feel like they're making choices that are harmful to them and others. And so how do I confront them? How do I like intervene? And so I think there's a, there's an argument to be made here that these are wrapped together. And so uh, what can we say? Um, I think what we could say is um, that we've got to look in a, maybe a couple of other different places in scripture to kind of help us out. Um, when I look at these two ideas, uh, the idea of praying and the idea of you know str- struggling, suffering alongside somebody who may be acting out of sorts, I think of Matthew chapter 7, it's just worth noting that the Ask, Seek, and Knock trilogy that Jesus gives, uh, Matthew puts it there in uh, this kind of the striving and the struggling with people in our life who maybe are acting out of sorts, where Luke puts it in the teaching on prayer in Luke chapter 11. But it seems like maybe Matthew's got this in mind as he's trying to pastor his churches too. Um, you know, you've probably got families by that point where there are believers and non-believers. So there's like the evergreen issue. Like, how do I, I have standards as a Christian, people living alongside of me, either in my workplace or in my home, uh, in our neighborhood, like they don't have the same, you know, they're not Christians. They don't have the same moral framework. And so what can I hold to them and hold them, sorry, hold them to and what things do I have to kind of let slide, right? So this is something that we're always going to deal with. And so there's a sense in at the very tail end of John's letter here, who knows, he could have, you know, had something um, after this and the scroll maybe could have been abbreviated. Uh, but this seems to be the last thing that he wants to address. This idea of watching over one another, of engaging with God in prayer. The very last thing he says, there's little children, guard yourselves from idols. So there's like this sense where uh, John is concerned about the moral fabric of this community. Right? I just think it's worth reminding ourselves what the definition of sin is uh, in the New Testament. More often than not, sin is this idea of missing a mark. So think of archery, someone aiming for the bullseye and they miss the mark. That's uh, what sin is. Um, also, uh, and I kind of attribute this to Marty Solomon and the Bama podcast, Eastern view of sin is probably different than Western view of sin. In the West here, we think of sin as something that lives in us. And we definitely get some of that language from Paul in, um, in Roman, that, that passage in Romans 7 where he's um, meditating on doing the things that he doesn't want to do and vice versa, right? But for the most part, in the Eastern mind, like sin is something where like we've wandered off a path and we can surely find ourselves back on the path. Like righteousness is a path. And uh, we want, we veer off, we get into the weeds, we get into the wilderness, uh, we get lost and uh, we can find our way back. And we engage once again in that covenant uh, allegiance and faithfulness to God by uh, doing the things that we're called to do. So whereas in the Eastern mind, I think it's more of an action. Uh, we think it's more of a forensic thing here in the West. That's something that deep within me that has to go under a transformation, like a, 
like a transplant of a, a vital organ of some sort, right? So this is why the language in 1 John 5 trips us up. We, we want to know the list, like what is like the, the petty sins that maybe aren't so, um, so that we have to agonize over and what's the big stuff that we got to agonize over. So it seems like John is saying, hey, like there are sins that obviously are weightier than others. And it appears if we look, look at all the rest of 1 John in its context, the sins committed against our brothers and sister in Christ are the gravest, right? So there's things where maybe we can send and that doesn't directly impact our brothers and sisters or one of our neighbors, you know, someone even outside the church. Uh, but those things uh, which harm our brothers and sisters that break the bond of peace seem to be the things of top of mind for John, right? And so um, this is why he says, hey, engage in prayer. God's desire for, is for us all to love him and to love others. So that's God's will. So let's plead with God for ourselves and for our friends that we be conformed into the image of God's will. And we know that God is going to go into work, uh, into play to make those things happen. That's according to his will. So maybe we're here in the um, afterglow of Easter and we're looking at our own lives and maybe the lives of others. And we think, man, the tomb is empty. We've got to start living differently around here. That's true. That's the admonition that we get from the empty tomb. And so this, this I think, passage calls us to pray. And it calls us to pray from a posture of love instead of judgment and a place of uh, long-suffering and patience instead of maybe like the aggressiveness uh, that we might actually have trying to take control of somebody's life and to strongly suggest changes they should make instead of allowing God to do that long, patient, slow work of transformation that lasts in the life of people. So what this ultimately is, and let me try to wind it up here, I'm going along here, is simply whoever the person is in our life who we have the greatest worry, uh, let's bring it before God and pray along the terms of increasing love for God and love for others. And then allow the words that stoke that are stoked in our hearts to follow from there. Then I think we'll get the delight in the sense that we're praying according, according to God's will as we pray for that person. So with those things in mind, let's uh, spend some time praying to our God this morning. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, what we see from the cross is a God who loves. Uh, loves until it hurts, until love only remains. And so we think of that as we are called your people, that you call us to follow the example of Jesus and to participate in the sufferings of Christ. And so we choose to participate in the work of redemption in the world that is uh, punctuated by the way of love. God, we have uh, loved ones in our life. Uh, we grieve over them. Uh, we're concerned about their patterns of behaviors and maybe their conclusions and ideologies. And we confess to you that we're tempted to take matters into our own hands and to try to straighten them out. Uh, but we understand that uh, that process does not work. That only the only fruit that ab that abounds in growth in the human life comes from your grace. And so, God, we hand these people over to you. And our only desire for them is that they would love you and that they would love others. So, to that end, God, we pray that you would go to work and that you would woo them with your love and kindness. We pray that they would be awakened to the revelation of Jesus. And because of that, choose to be people who walk according to the gospel and the law of love. And so, God, we pray for these uh, dear ones and we ask that you'd work in their life today. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. <music>